Welcome to the War Room with David Orton, a commentary on the culture war. The Biden presidency, in tandem with the global elites and the COVID-19 pandemic's convenient segue into the World Economic Forum's Great Reset of 2021, represents cultural Marxism's usurpation of the West's institutions, of its legislatures, courts, universities, media and corporate boardrooms. The lead time of God's mercy has expired. So, how must the church respond to this and how will she navigate the new cultural and political terrain, not just to survive but to prosper? The Great Reset charting the way forward provides the answer, outlining five resets that the church must undergo to equip her to be both the demonstration and proclamation of God's government to the world. Only then will the nations discover the biblical blueprints for their dilemmas. To order your print copy of The Great Reset, Charting the Way Forward, visit www.lifemessenger.org and click on the Publications tab. The five resets are 1. Partisan politics for the politics of the kingdom. 2. The myth of neutrality for a cultural gospel. 3. Experientialism and false prophecy for the scriptures. 4. Tribalism and sectarianism for apostolic unity. And 5. Eschatologies of defeat for Christ's victory in history. These five resets cover five major biblical paradigms. The kingdom, the gospel, the spirit word balance, unity and victory. In the last podcast, we considered the third reset, experientialism and false prophecy for the scriptures. In this podcast, we explore the fourth and fifth resets. And so, fourth, she must reject her tribalism and sectarianism for apostolic unity. The apostle rebukes division and commands unity. Romans 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
And then Christ's great high priestly prayer of John 17. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us today, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is not to deny that God sets the solitary within families, Psalm 68. God has ordained that his people dwell together as families and as tribes and as an entire holy nation, the larger body of Christ. Nevertheless, where the more basic configurations degenerate into schisms and judgmentalism, denominationalism, dividing the house of God and the holy nation, there must be repentance and restitution. This is especially the case within local and citywide jurisdictions. This is not the place nor the time to teach it, but there is an apostolic blueprint and architecture for the spiritual and functional unity of God's people. This call to unity is particularly pertinent for the reformed and renewal streams of the church. It was as it was with the creation, so it is with the new creation. As the Spirit of God brooded over the waters, Genesis 1, the six days of creation, the heavenly hosts and the whole of history anticipated the Word of God powerfully calling forth cosmos from chaos. Likewise, the renewal of the 1960s to 80s, the charismatic outpouring across all denominations and nations. The Spirit of God brooding over the chaos of the renewal was but the harbinger of a word from God that would call forth a new order. And this word came through several globally influential renewal teachers who were also reformed theologically, specifically Ern Baxter and Bob Mumford. They brought a corrective word proclaiming the government of God not only over his church, but also society, carrying a burden for the unity of the church. They promoted a vision of the corporate people of God in divine order as a demonstration and proclamation of his government to the world. In God's providence, they intersected with Rusus Rushduni, an influential reformed thinker and father of Christian Reconstruction, and together through publishing and conferences, seeded the renewal with a kingdom vision and ethos, particularly for cultural reformation. As is too often the case with reformers, they were not received well by their, by their respective movements, that is, the renewal and reform movements. But as forerunners, they modelled the future, the two major streams of God's activity in history flowing together to become the mainstream, the Word and the Spirit. And this for one purpose, to call cosmos out of chaos, God's order out of the ecclesial and societal disarray of autonomous man. 
for the reform stream or the renewal to see themselves as the mainstream is a delusion. The word and the spirit held in balanced tension is integral to the advance of the kingdom of God. Neither expression is complete without the other. In a day of restoration, both emphases will emerge as the mainstream of God's purpose in the world, releasing the full force of the kingdom of God flowing to the healing of the nations. Ezekiel 47, Revelation 22. Isaiah 52 and verse 8 declares, Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. When the Lord brings back Zion, the reconstruction of both church and society, the watchmen will see eye to eye. In fact, where brothers dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing. Life forevermore, Psalm 133. Only then, when brothers dwell together in unity, will many peoples respond and say, Isaiah 2.3, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us of his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. When the inhabitants of Zion dwell together in unity, God will command and the nations will come. Human means, marketing and advertising, promotion and programs will be obsolete. God's spirit will be outpoured in unusual measure and the nations will be taught of the Lord. Their political and civil leaders will come to learn of the ways and laws of God for human society. The apostolic unity of the body of Christ demands that we not only dwell together as brothers, but also strategize as co-laborers. It demands that as military allies we war with common goals and strategies. What is needed immediately is a global 20-year strategy of Christian reconstruction of church and society. This means relinquishing our sectarian independence to form alliances as one body of Christ within our regions and cities, to be not only of one mind but also to be one voice to the world. Christ's high priestly prayer will be answered that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The spiritual and functional unity of the whole body of Christ is prophetic evangelism. The scandal of our division invites both the judgment of God and the derision of the world. Crucially, this oneness can only be found by returning to the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2.42 to the historic orthodoxy of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3, only in this way will the church again become the ground and pillar of truth to the world. This brings us to the fifth and final reset. 
The church must reject eschatologies of defeat for Christ's victory in history. Christ's command to his church is to occupy until he comes, Luke 19.13, through his ascension to the Father and his enthronement at his right hand. The kingdom has already been inaugurated and is advancing until fully realized in history. Christ will not come again until his church has fully occupied the nations. According to Psalm 110, he remains seated in ascension glory until all his enemies have been made his footstool. Only then will he return to defeat the last enemy, death, in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.25 Instead of the second coming as the hope of the church, it is rather his first coming. As the climax of the ages, it was then that Satan was defeated, his head crushed and sin vanquished. It was then when Jesus declared, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan has therefore been disarmed and dispossessed. And so his gates cannot and will not prevail against the onslaught of Christ's church, Matthew 16, 18. This means that in the face of seeming defeat, of insurmountable odds, the church of God will arise victorious well before the end. History demonstrates Satan's brazen overplay of his hand. This is certainly the case in the present culture wars, especially the West's Great Reset of 2021. The barefaced attack by the cultural and political elites in league with unelected globalists and weaponized by big money, big tech and big pharma upon all things Western is in fact a demonic agenda to unseat Christ. Western culture once known as Christendom, is nothing less than a cultural outworking of Christ's dominion in history. Christendom, Christ's dom or domain. The consummate example of satanic overplay, however, is the execution of Christ in the days of his flesh. Peter, confronting the human perpetrators, delivers a stinging indictment. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Acts 2.23, diabolically animated but nonetheless culpable, godless men put him to death. Nevertheless, it was the sovereign God's predetermined plan from eternity's past. Consequently, his satanic majesty, believing that he had sprung the consummate cosmic coup, was instead hung on his own gallows. The death of Christ becoming the very death of death, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil, Hebrews 2.14, lights out Lucifer. And so the nations and their kings may conspire against the Lord and his anointed to cast off their restraints, but the Lord will have them in derision. 
for he has established his king in Zion, and it is he who has been given the nations, not the global elites, and he will possess them as his inheritance and break them with a rod of iron. Psalm 2. As a result, every defeatist and pesimillennial scheme must be exorcised from the belief of the church, or should I say unbelief. When Christ was enthroned at the ascension, all heaven resounded with the cry that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11.15, that's a first century proclamation of the event of Christ's ascension. So, now is the time to take sword and trowel in the right hand and the left, to wage warfare against every proud reasoning, every ideology raised up against the knowledge of God, and to rebuild the ancient ruins of Zion, the city of God, until she completely subsumes the city of man, until a new Christian civilization emerges from the ruins of the present crisis and fills the entire earth. This therefore demands the recovery of a biblical philosophy of history, one that sees Christ at the right hand of the Father governing all things for the sake of his church, Ephesians 1.22, that sees him as the sovereign over history, bringing everything into his administration, Ephesians 1.10. Our vision of God therefore determines our view of the future and how we act or not in the present. As one well-known dispensational preacher once infamously quipped, why polish the brass on a sinking ship? In other words, the world is destined for destruction why bother with it? An eschatology of Christ's victory in history will embolden the people of God to do exploits, to confront the idols of the culture and build for the generations. To conclude, we have shown that the Christian community must undergo five resets if she is to chart the way forward. 1. Partisan politics for the politics of the kingdom. 2. The myth of neutrality for a cultural gospel. 3. Experientialism and false prophecy for the scriptures. 4. Tribalism and sectarianism for apostolic unity. and 5. Eschatologies of defeat for Christ's victory in history. Summing up, we have truncated the gospel to personal salvation only, believing the myth of neutrality and the lie of the division of secular and sacred. We have falsely believed that our job is in the church, not in the world, especially politics, apart from perhaps some good works, welfare, for example. Because of this, we have forsaken the public square. The consequent authority vacuum 
has precipitated a cacophony of competing voices, each new expert vying for cultural supremacy, public health experts, politicians, unelected elites, media commentators, or should I say commissars, educators, mental health authorities, police and state authorities ad nauseum. Because the church has rejected the authority of God in his word, the world has rejected the authority of God in his church. The churches, by not applying the whole word of God to the whole of life, have bred sentimental Christians but practical atheists. And so the world likewise has become atheists. So goes the church, so goes the world. The salt then, having lost its savour, has been trodden underfoot of men by an unbelieving culture. In conclusion, the mandate given by our Lord is a teaching one. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It calls for a recovery of the gospel as a comprehensive world and life view, reaching from individual salvation to cultural redemption. We must therefore embrace long-term generational change strategies for the reconstruction of the church and society. With a biblical eschatology of Christ and his church, victorious in history, time is on our side, as we labour not only for the present, but for the generations. And this demands, first, the urgent recovery of biblical blueprints for every sphere of society. Second, a strategy for the re-education of church and society. Because ideas have consequences, our battle first and foremost is for minds. And third, the merging of word and spirit emphases of reformed and renewal streams into the mainstream of God's kingdom purpose to reform entire cultures and nations. Only then can the Word do the work. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 These five resets will prove to be God's great reset. Order your print copy today of The Great Reset, Charting the Way Forward. Visit www.lifemessenger.org and click on the Publications tab. You have been listening to The War Room with David Orton. For more, visit www.lifemessenger.org.